there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. Good afternoon, Assalamualaikum, welcome welcome again everyone uh, to another episode here today with my main man Ted Glover, you can catch him on his own podcast, Purple Reports with Drew and Ted, uh, some current events going on in the world and uh, every, Vikings training camp, uh, crap always seems to just just uh, coalesce So thought, and has some trash talk, so Ted, how are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing good, how are you man? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Uh, pleasure having you on. So uh, I thought we'd start out in the toy department a little bit. You know, obviously uh, training camp's been going on. Uh, first preseason games in the rearview mirror. Uh, t- only two more now. Uh, cuts down to 85. I'm just curious to gauge your thoughts. I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to tell Like when none of the starters play and everyone's freaking out on social media about the offensive line and what what have you but I'm just curious to gauge your overall thoughts going in, uh, into the season um, I, you know I when when free agency was done and the draft was done I thought the Vikings had, had done a pretty good job and I, I can I can just barely see your forehead I, your, your, your camera there we go um, sorry I have a big head sir I can't I mean I can't see your face at all that's okay we'll figure it out um, at, the, at the end of the season I just I didn't see uh I thought the Vikings had done a pretty good job of getting um, getting the roster replenished and taken care of and refilling um, the, the the key uh, backup positions on just about up and down the up and down the roster. But then when you know when my buddy Drew and I started doing kind of our positional breakdowns, you, you looked at the the roster depth really still isn't that great. I think they've got some young talent that they brought in. I, I think. They did a good job in free agency getting um, players to, to, especially on defense, they can come in and hopefully play better than the guys they had last year. I, I still don't know what what to make I, until these guys play together. I think the, until these guys play together, I think it's going to be one big question mark. I think the offense is still going to be pretty good. I think the defense is going to be better because it just it can't be any worse. Um, and we'll see how good it can get. And I, I'm thinking like a mid, mid teens, 13, 14, 15 kind of, kind of range. And if the offense can, can stay at the level of production they had last year, they, they've got a chance to be a, to be a good football team. But I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. I think we'll wait and see. I think from what I was able to, to witness, so I was there uh, for a day last week. I think the defense, uh, they had four guys in their defensive line that were not there last year. They, from what I saw, they just dominated against uh, in those joint in the joint practice that I was able to witness. So I feel like I feel like that's to me personally. I feel like that'll be the key. I think offensively, they're just it's bound to re- regress. Just when you have a top four offense last year, and you have some of uh, variables with the offensive line, 
it's 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 bound for regression one way or the other but i feel like the defense can make such a large leap I feel like they finished they finished last year ranked 29th i think the, i think it's reasonable to jump to like the mid mid uh, mid tier of the league 14 15th overall i think if they could do that and if offensively they can stay within that top 10ish i think they'll be good i just like you said, it's hard. It's hard to tell when we're we're still in August and they're still in mostly in shorts and pads and this, none of the starters have played in the preseason yet. It's still very hard to tell. But I, I, there's there are some position positional concerns. I will add, but hopefully we'll get those cleared up in the next three weeks. Hopefully, yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see how the uh, uh, how the first team offense and defense because they're going to play this week against the Colts. We'll see how they look and. Um, we'll have our instant overreactions from there, I guess. I guess so. I guess so, yeah. Uh, moving on here. So, obviously, everyone who follows you on social media knows you're a big uh, Ohio State fan. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be shy and admit I'm uh, I'm biased from my alma mater, my, my uh, University of Minnesota. I, my, rumor has it they'll be facing off uh, at now known as Huntington Bank Stadium in two weeks. Uh, two weeks from this Thursday, so I'm just curious. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying, "Well, they're number. F- you have a number four ranked team in the nation against an unranked team, so it's like, well, why would, why would you have any chance?" But I feel like to me, with Justin Fields now probably the Chicago Bears starting quarterback, I feel like you guys' biggest deficiency going into Week One is at the quarterback position, where uh, and I feel uh, whereas I feel like. Uh, the, the Gophers have a more established quarterback. I'm just curious to gauge your thoughts on your squad and just what you what you expect from your number four ranked team heading into this uh, big big matchup to start the Everything season. you said is correct. Um, the the Gophers have a more experienced guy in Tanner Morgan. Um, C.J. Stroud looks to be the guy for Ohio State. Hasn't really played all that much, and and you know when you've got guys like Dwayne Haskins and. and um, Justin Fields ahead of him. I, it'll be interesting to see. I, everybody, you can you can say all you want about how good a guy looks in practice, and, and until he actually does it in the game, um, you're not really going to know. I, I have a feeling he's going to be pretty good. Ohio State really doesn't recruit bad players at that position. Ryan Ryan Day is a heck of a coach. He's a heck of a recruiter. Uh, he's really he's got a really good staff that develops the talent that they bring in. Um, I, they, they just finished, I think, with the, either the top or the second-ranked recruiting class in this most recent uh, round of recruiting. Ohio State's defense top to bottom is, is pretty good. Ohio State's offensive line, even though they, they lost guys like Wyatt Davis, is still going to be really good. Um, I think for the first game of the year, it's going to be pretty close for a while. Uh, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see a one-score game going into halftime, but I think as, as the game progresses, there's just – so much of a talent disparity, and, and it's not that the Gophers aren't good. I please don't think I'm I'm bagging on the Gophers, but no, you have Ohio a number, you have a number four ranked team against it. The, yeah. uh, so it's it's it makes logical sense. I understand where you're where you're coming from for for the viewers. Yeah, Ohio State just recruits at a, at a level that nobody else in the Big Ten does. They they just simply don't. Um, that I, I think that that talent disparity is going to show itself. In the second half, and Ohio State's gonna gonna pull away and win the game. 
Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think both teams, both teams, it, it, it's, it looks primed to me to be a high-scoring game. Both teams have really good offenses. Probably, two, I would argue the two best offensive lines in the Big Ten. If you want to put Iowa up there, you could, but I, I feel like they're two of the nastiest, uh, most physically uh, imposing offensive lines in the, in the Big Ten. You have uh, you have uh, two really good running games. You have Master Teague uh, going up against Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, I think Ohio what Ohio State's biggest advantage will be is you have these young corners on the Gophers. You have uh, two two really really good probably potentially probably first second round first or second round picks next year in uh, in Chris in Chris Chris Olav and you have a young Marvin Harrison Jr. So I feel like oh, that yeah. so. I, so I feel like yeah, I think Olave and Olave and Harrison Jr. they could probably cause the most trouble to to tip the scales a little bit as the game moves on. Yeah, and again, I think it just kind of it, it kind of goes back to how well the offense performs is just going to be dependent on how how quickly C.J. Stroud settles in and, and gets over those game day nerves. And I, I would expect Ohio State to run the ball a lot in the beginning of the game just just to get. Stroud into a rhythm of the football game, uh, and then you know use guys like Chris Olave to, to open up the open up the offense a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely, and and they have a really good running. I think Master Teague is, and they you think about it, they, they you uh, the Buckeyes always churn out running backs into the NFL. You have Trey Sermon, who's a who who's a favorite for a lot of people in in uh, drafting their fantasy teams now. You have. Every every other year, you guys seem to have a running back go in. I think Master Teague, he didn't play as much last year just because they had Sermon, but he's he's very lethal. So he could, uh, in a situation, although I feel like the Gophers have a really a strong defensive line going into the season, I feel like uh, for a young quarterback going in his first start, that's probably the route they'll want to take early on is, is to lean on Teague. Excellent. So it'll be interesting to see how that game, uh, how that game, uh, comes down in the next couple of weeks. It'll be, it'll be fun for sure. Uh, so you think the Gophers are gonna win, or are you calling for an upset? I am. I don't want to. <laughs> no. See, I don't know. I feel like a, a, a mutual friend, Daniel Howells, me and him have gone back and forth on this, and I'm, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but I, I don't want to sound crazy. I see. Everybody who listens to this podcast, everyone who follows me on Twitter, they know I'm crazy. So it's like Amir. It's like Amir is crazy. It's like well, that's like saying the sky is blue. But I, I feel like this team is good. Good. It, it, I think Ohio State is favored. I just feel like it's not going to be a blowout. One way or the other, whoever wins, it's going to be a very probably. It'll probably. I think it'll come down to the last possession of the game. One way or the other, uh, whichever side. It very well could. I mean, first game of the year, you know, inexperienced quarterback for Ohio State. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I think it'll be a good game. I think so too. I think so too. Uh, but both both teams will for surely have good years. I think they. I think you know, no matter who wins the game, I I'm I'm willing to go out on a limb and say they will meet again. I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to at least go that far. Big Ten West champions, huh? Okay. I think so. I think I think I think those two teams will meet again in December in Indianapolis. I think. I'm willing to go on the record on this podcast and predict that out loud. Okay. Uh, what do you? Th- I mean, what do you think? I mean, obviously, you think Ohio State's favorite in the East, 
But yeah. you think you think I'm off base on that? Just looking at the Big Ten, you think I know there's five ranked teams in the top twenty-five. But I feel like just in the West, the East seems stronger to me than the West. Yeah, um, I I like Minnesota's. Minnesota is kind of like a dark horse. I think they're going to be a good team. I think when you look at the teams in the West, they're one of the more experienced teams. Um, Wisconsin is always going to be tough. Uh, Iowa. Iowa is either going to be nine and three or three or nine. That's kind of like Iowa every year. I don't know what to make of Iowa going into the season any year. But yeah, they have as much uh, much of a shot as anybody, I think, to get to Indianapolis. But um, I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't mean to sound like an arrogant Ohio State fan. I know a lot of us do. I just, I just, the, the talent level at Ohio State. If CJ Stroud is as good as advertised, I think they're going to be just as good as they were last few years and are going to go to the college football playoff. I, I just sort of depends on how on how quickly he gets used to being quarterback at a place like Ohio State and how well he plays. If he plays well, um, Ohio State is going to be uh, very tough to, to beat out in the Big Ten. Absolutely. I think another thing that a lot of people forget, and it's a different situation because you had a transfer versus a true, a true freshman, but Fields only played one year. Like last year, how remarkable uh, fields looked that he only played he didn't play more than uh, a, a really long time there so like uh, Ohio State has a track record of getting quarterbacks in and uh, and just built uh, either one one or two years of experience and just letting them go like you had that with Cardale you had that in the past with uh, with uh, with Barrett so like like that, that they didn't play like as freshmen so it's a different situation because Stroud is a freshman but I feel like yeah that you're Ohio State, I will admit, is a very strongly built surrounding him. I feel like, yeah. like a lot of other teams around the country, I think it's just a quarterback position that's that that could determine the whole the whole thing. Yeah, they, Ohio State has a really good roster, top to bottom. They absolutely do. Uh, we'll, we'll, it'll be great to see that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, veering out of the out of the toy department, something I haven't really done on this podcast. A lot of the listeners know. I've I've gone into the social justice uh in this I've dipped my toe in the social justice pool. I've had a passion, however, I am a big a massive history buff, and I know about the world and but I haven't really gone out of it uh, into that realm as much. And with the recent uh, current events going on in Afghanistan the past couple of days, uh, with your expertise just on the whole situation, and uh, just my my passion on. African and Middle Eastern history and what's all the just all of the, what has gone on there the past uh, several decades and centuries and how the West has sort of the, the Western powers have sort of played a, laid a hand in that uh, that's um, obviously you're a big Vikings uh, blogger and that's why I want to have you, have you on but this is probably the most important reason I wanted to have you on today is just to delve into these topics and just gauge your thoughts from your own perspective yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm no expert, but um, yeah, it's uh, what's unfolding now in Afghanistan is is, uh, is tragic. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't know I don't know how how to really put it into words. You you see these images on TV, and, and you 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 know, I, for you know, I was there uh, two separate tours. You know, late. 2001 and then into 2002 um, and 
it just the thing the thing that gets me I, I'm kind of scatterbrained right now but the thing that gets me about this is that we we told the Afghani people that were going to work for us uh, interpreters um, folks that were out in the field whoever if, if you if you work for us when the time comes and we if we ever come to a point in time where we have to get you out and bring you to America we will and, and it looks like right now anyways over the last couple days we're, we're unable to do that um, we've got anywhere from 10 to 20,000 Americans I've seen trapped somewhere in Kabul or in the country that can't get to the airport um, and and so the government the State Department has said make your way there but we can't guarantee safe passage we can't come get you I mean it's just a disaster of epic proportion unfolding and and there was a good way to get out of Afghanistan I think anybody who was there would tell you that after about 2002 when we started transforming or trans um, uh, not transforming but when we started preparing for Iraq and sort of made Afghanistan our, our secondary war if you will that that was Afghanistan's fate was sealed there there was not going to be a winnable outcome in Afghanistan there just wasn't I mean and so that the best option as the years went by was to help those that want to get out get out get all the Americans out and then you know hopefully destroy all of our equipment and then just sort of let the chips fall where they may but now we've done the let the chips fall where they may as the first step and we have this this absolute mess on our hands and I don't know how it's going to be corrected or fixed right away I mean I've got an idea but but it's not something I don't think our political leaders are willing to do absolutely yeah and it's, it's from my perspective it's a very sad situation like I I don't want to go as far, obviously I don't serve in the military. You, you, you have so you can tell me if I'm off base. But I feel like just comparing in history, just what's going on, it it reminds me sort of like with with Vietnam, just the reaction, the aftermath. That's you need. I don't know. I I guess I wasn't alive back then, so I don't know if they thought that was a winnable situation, just the way they handled it then. But I think. No, you're, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, but I think in this situation, you're right that. They made it a secondary, uh, a second when you're fighting two wars at one time, and just not only that, but I, what what strikes me so interesting is, and you see a lot of people blaming the situation. I I agree that you blame the the scatterbrainedness of how to get people out, but people forget like this. It's 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 pretty much started whenever the Soviet Union came in in 1980, 1981. But do you agree with me? That it's like that the situation just from your perspective. That as a as a just from a, from a historical lens, that it's sort of like the when when you're prepare, uh, preparing for the Vietnam. Not not necessarily that. I'm not saying like 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 people say with Vietnam they shouldn't have gone in the first place. They should have gone to Afghanistan. But I'm wondering if it's like the same, the same uh, uh in, inevit- inevitability, if you will. It's uncanny how similar and and alike the two situations are. You know, we, we had a corrupt government we propped up in South Vietnam. We had a corrupt government that we propped up in, in Afghanistan. And to say it's a, it's a government, and, and 
that you know the at least Vietnam was was a quasi functioning government. They, they, for this is again just my opinion. I'm no Middle East expert. I'm I'm just a guy. But Afghanistan is is not a country that when we think of a country like the United States or Canada or Mexico or European country, African country, it's just not. A, it, it's got lines on a map and it's got borders, but it's it's these different regions controlled by di- different ethnic majority groups that that kind of have their own. I don't want to say little kingdom or fiefdom, but but that's sort of what it is. They they were never going to answer to a central government in Kabul, so. What we did is we tried to impose secular democracy to a country that had that is a just a bunch of disparate regions sort of forced together to say you're Afghanistan, and that was just it was not a blueprint that was meant for success. In 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 late 2001, early 2002, when I was there, we we had sent special forces A teams into the into the countryside and worked with these regional leaders, warlords. I don't know if you remember remember all that. And and that was kind of how things were done. I mean they didn't like they didn't like the Taliban. Um, Taliban didn't like the warlords and that was where the where the kind of the conflict was. And and, and we had done a good job of winning the hearts and minds because that's what special forces A teams are trained to do. We had showed them, you know, how we can be a friend and how we can be an ally. Uh, and then to to get ready for the Iraq invasion, we started pulling all of our special operations assets out because that was a, a, a pure special operations war when we first went in. And then when we started bringing conventional forces in, we had we had pretty much isolated the Taliban into, into Tora Bora. We had done a pretty good job of sealing off the border with Pakistan. And, and had we just been allowed to finish that, I think the outcome would have potentially been different. But when we transitioned from fighting a war to, to get the terrorists that perpetrated 9-11 into this nation-building um, exercise, this nation-building mission, then it was just doomed for failure, just simply for the fact uh, of the way Afghanistan is laid out from a historical perspective and, and from us trying to think that we can bring America to another country. Absolutely. I think I think if from, from an outsider's perspective, I think you're... I think, I think you're right on that front. I think it's to, to add on what you're talking with the with the boundaries, it's it, it all it all I feel like everything all dates back to colonization. I feel like all of the problems that we have in 2021 and that we've had recent recent history that most of us know about, they're all rooted in colonization that you have uh, these European countries and they go into these other nations to these other lands uh, in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And they started drawing up various boundaries. They 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 combined or they they pushed together uh, different villages and different ethnic groups that were separate, and they pushed them together. And it, and then and then when uh, after World War Two, and uh, as the as the twentieth century progressed, you have these uh, new nations that are trying to develop, and because of the way that they were set up. It sort of seems like heading into even heading into the twenty first century now, that uh, they they were set up to fail a lot of some of these nations. That it's like the the problems that they ha- uh, the problems that are that are being had, it's like, like you're talking about that a country like a country like Afghanistan that they don't have a central government. You have all these various 
uh, various sections and that it, it's going to be hard for a country like that to sort of succeed. That's that's sort of a microcosm of all of the issues that relate back to then. To, to then. Yeah, I mean, I, I would even go back a little bit farther than that. I mean, look, you look at a world map in, what, 1913, 1914, you had the Ottoman Empire, which stretched from then Constantinople all the way down through the Arabian Peninsula. And, and then after... You know, because they were on the losing side with the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Germany and all that other stuff. Then the winners, you know, the Allies, get to make the rules, basically. And, and the, um, the Treaty of Versailles was at just especially brutal. It broke up the Ottoman Empire. It broke up the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. It split Germany. Um, and, and essentially, the Allies redrew the map of the Middle East. I mean, before then, you had, you had the Ottoman Empire. You had... A good chunk of modern-day Egypt, which was like a British colony, and and you had, you know, you had what well, it wasn't Iran; it was called Persia, I believe, and then you had parts of the Middle East, which were just like Abyssinia and just all these disparate regions that sort of were were more tribal than than like a central government that we know. And then after World War One. We just redrew the map and said, "Congratulations! This is now Iraq. This is now Iran. This is Saudi Arabia. This is whatever." And, and you you put together um, different uh, ethnic groups that historically don't like each other and said, "Congratulations! You're now the country of Iraq, for example." I mean, we just we just laid the groundwork for disaster at the end of World War One, and it just has sort of progressed and percolated through the years, and we're, we're seeing. I mean, just my opinion, I think we're seeing the, the end result of that now. We are, and it's a sad situation. I hate to put you on the spot, but you said you have an idea of how, sort of how this... Because we knew that at some point, the United States was going to have to leave Afghanistan. I'm curious, just based on the, the developments that happened the last few days, what do, you think, what do you think could have been done to better prepare for this situation? I mean, not, not again, not, I hate to put you on the spot, but I'm just... I'm, just curious. You said you had some ideas, and yeah. So, so we just pretty much pulled almost everybody out pretty fast. I I would have left a, a larger military presence in the country, one robust enough to to let the Taliban know that look, we are going to conduct our operations, our evacuation operations, and you're not going to mess with us, or we're going to kill you all. Um, so you leave us alone. You let us do what we need to do, and then, and, and by do what we need to do, that is get all the Americans out, get all the Afghan nationals that wanted um, to come to the United States because they work for us and are now in absolute mortal danger of being killed by the Taliban. Get them out. Um, they should have expedited this visa process months ago. Uh, they should have started evacuating people months ago. But now that we're here, I think the only realistic solution for this to happen and I, I don't know that that as a country we have the political will to do it would be to send in a nor, another sizable military force which would be wildly unpopular I, I, I get that but it would be in place until we got everybody out and then they would leave and then uh, I mean it's sad I mean it's terrible and it sucks but when we leave, the Taliban is going to run Afghanistan. So the, the best exit at this point, in my opinion, is to get all the Americans out and get all the Afghan nationals that work for us. And we said we would bring with us 
to live up to our word and get them out. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, it's hard to get it, get it to happen. I, I agree with you if it was painted more as like a rescue mission that you have... Americans who are there, Afghani, you have Afghani nationals who are there who want to leave. I guess if you're worried about how the public would how the public would view it, the best way is we're not. It's not a war. It's a it's an Operation Rescue Mission. Yeah. Then, in other situations that we've had in the past, like you've had people that have been lost, and you have to you've sent you've and you have wars. In past wars that have been fin- that have been completed, and you have uh, rescue rescue missions that have had to have take taken place. I think you. I think, in addition to what you mentioned, I think it, the best way that that could have taken place is if you uh, at this point is if the government phrases it more as a rescue mission to to, to safely to safely remove all those people out. Uh, yeah. I guess wait would you so the three previous presidents that were involved even prior to yeah. 2002 do you blame those do you think yes, those, yes I absolutely do because I because I, I, I feel like I blame like not like the last eight presidents I feel like even though prior to the United States entry in 2001 I feel like just the eight the, all of the issues involving the Taliban that's that began in 1980 1981 so I, and that was sort of prodded by the United States, their involve yeah, yeah. our our involvement in the Cold War. So I feel like you have eight presidents you sort of have to blame for this whole mess today. Yeah, I, I kind of yeah, I, I could I could see that. Yeah, the Mujahideen with with uh, what I think it was Carter and Carter and then Reagan, sure. And then yeah, sure, okay. But but it, it's 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 a mess years in the making, um, and it's and it's something that amazingly countries that have intervened in Afghanistan end up leaving unceremoniously and nobody has learned that lesson. If, if nothing else, I would hope that we would learn this lesson 
and, and decide that our, our military is not designed for nation building because we're, we're not we're, we're not designed for nation building we we go in and, and um, close and eliminate the enemy and and, and that's I mean in, in 2001 I, I think it was a very justifiable mission to go in I mean it, there, there it just was that you had you had um, a corrupt government that was shielding the Taliban who had perpetrated 9-11 and, and our job was to go in and get them and we did um, but when when it, you try and tell military folks to, to build a nation I, how do you how, how do you, you, know, you just, it just makes it made little sense then and it makes you know even less sense today when you look at the state of things as it has unfolded exactly right you're exactly right and I appreciate your thoughts on all this uh, I guess to to bring it back to our original talking point, I guess comparing this this comparing the situation, America's uh the na- nation building, it's like the it's like the Vikings, like you can't expect them to win, you can't expect them to win games in two thousand twenty one. I you have to have a great team, but like like you said that you, you feel like you lost you uh, you lo- uh you did all this work for nothing, and it reminds you it's like you could uh, all this uh, hard work from all these great players and you can't. Uh, I I don't know like I I I it feels really very wrong of me to compare an awful situation uh nationally but it's like yeah this if you it's a, it's in a microcosm if you compare it to a sports situation you could see something like this happening to a, a Vikings team in any in any year so just to to conclude the conversation just yeah, it's a good it's a good way to tie it together what's that I said yeah it's just a, it's just it's just weird. It's just weird that I think of that. That uh, it's hard to it's hard to mix sports and politics. It's like yeah, it's like that's sort of a that's a good comparison for those for those the listener the, our list, our listeners for our respective podcasts who are morally uh, mostly sports minded. It's like to, to get to get them to understand the situation. It's like yeah, you you could see this in a in a Vikings team any given year. It's like colossal 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 mistakes. Yeah, the, the the last few years of the Vikings, they're you know you go to the end of the like, 2017 season, and, and every almost every roster decision they've made objectively has made the team worse. I mean, they went from the NFC Championship to out of the playoffs to uh, one playoff win, and then seven and nine last year when it sort of all came crashing down. So they they've had this this huge this huge um, stopgap spending to get players in that will make them competitive. And they kind of going all in, putting all their chips on the table. And, and if it doesn't work this year, um, you know, all those guys they signed, Patrick Peterson, um, Dalvin Tomlinson, I think he's got a two-year deal. Um, Sheldon. Xavier Woods. Yeah, all those guys are on one-year deals. And if and if they fall short this year, and I I mean, I think they'll be better. I mean, are they are they good enough to win the Super Bowl right now? We'll see. I My, my initial gut reaction is no. Um but if they fall short this year, I think I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of reckoning for a lot of people because you're going to have a whole bunch of people leaving the roster. You've got Kirk's forty five million dollar cap hit coming next year, and that's going to eat up a big chunk of cap space. Although the, the cap should go up a, a fair amount, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens if if this team does not live up to the expectations. And I think the expectations are win the division, go to the playoffs, and make make a deep playoff run. Now that they have gotten the talent in that they did in the off season. They absolutely should. You're, you're, they absolutely should. That's, the, it, it. You wonder if the moves they made will will push them towards that towards that goal. 
so you just you, you wonder i think the the good news is if the cap go, the cap is going up so if they perform well some of these guys you could retain them but it's like well it's what's what's i guess my my question and i love this team but it's like what's the end goal so to bring up to bring these conversations all full circle i guess the the moral the moral of the story the moral of the story in any in any industry is you have to know what your end goal is you have to know what's realistic and i feel like yeah. in, in these two in these two the topics we've discussed today these these regime uh, these administrations uh that that's uh, sort of began the situations we're in today they didn't really understand what was realistic We'll see what happens. That's why they. That's why they kind of play the game. So. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, Ted, to uh, let, allow us to enter the realm of your minds for a few short for a few short moments. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate. I apologize to everybody for that. Nobody should be rooting around in my head. That's no, but you're no, but you 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 have a lot of great thoughts and great insights, and that that's why I follow you. That's why. I, engage with you and and listen listen to you and read read what you write so that's that's why i that's why i appreciate you is every every one of every one of us individuals has our own weird thoughts and we uh, and things in our brain but and we we don't think anyone else wants to listen or hear and we we and we uh, uh, relay it and lay it out for everyone and it turns out to be beautiful in the end so i appreciate you doing that for us constantly yeah, uh, thank you so much again uh, for coming on, and we'll hope to have you on again soon. All right, man. Take care. You too. It was an absolute pleasure having a Ted on, a Ted on to discuss Vikings and Ohio State Gophers, and most importantly, just to get his get his thoughts on the situation going on right now in Afghanistan from his own lens, serving in serving in our nation's military. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, go listen to Ted. And he drew on their podcast, The Purple Report of Drew and Ted. You can read his work, uh, 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 I believe, on Daily Norse, Daily Norse, the Daily Norseman blog. Uh, Ted is beautiful. Uh, before we get out today, just got some beautiful, shocking Wolves news. Uh, last week's episode, me and Josiah, Josiah and I were were just uh, loathing the summer. We were like, we were we were uh, gro- moaning and groaning about the lack of activity from the Wolves front office and sort of wondering about their future and all the roster pieces they have if, if they could make a trade. And for weeks, a lot of people we uh, Jared Culver was a sad, uh, very disappointing draft pick. Uh, it's long believed uh, the, uh, Gerson Rosas wanted uh, Darius Garland when he traded up. He wasn't there. He took Culver, who I like coming out of college. But uh, he hasn't gone well for his two years. Uh, Wancho, uh, he can't play, He hasn't played a lick of defense. And the w- situation with him in the front office where he hurt his shoulder and he thought he had permission, uh, medical clearance to play in the Olympics, and uh, the Wolves t- denied it. and all. That. So anyway, so this morning, we, we come to find out oh, a player... I loved for a long, long time. Patrick Beverly has been acquired. The Timberwolves did it. They found a replacement. I I loved Ricky Rubio to death, but they 
they found the replacement at the backup point guard position, and all it cost them was Colvin Hernan Gomez. Two guys who uh, f- uh, frequent uh, f- frequent American Way uh, podcast guests, uh, Doogie, uh, Doogie and Johnny K, told me were untradeable. Were basically untradeable, and you get it for, and you give them for Patrick Beverly. I just love it, and uh, I I just love him. Uh, I love there's certain players, and everyone loves the superstars, LeBron and Durant and Giannis, and I love them all. But I also some of my favorite players currently playing in the NBA are guys who are just hard, physical. Is I love the guy. It could be I was, before I lost my vision and I played basketball when I was younger. I was short and stocky, but. I was a scrapper. I was a short scrapper. So I love the guys who are just maybe undersized, but are just uh, but overcome overcome whatever obstacles or odds and are just dogs. That's why Marcus Smart, who Boston just whom Boston just gave a max contract to last night, I love Marcus Smart to death for the same reason. Guys like Marcus Smart and Patrick Beverly and Clay Thompson and Draymond and Draymond. And the guys like guys like them, they they establish a culture of winning. With their with their aggression on the defensive end, and just the just their emotion, their, their emotion and their intensity. Now, according to uh, Dane Moore, uh, the Wolves uh, were hoping that the Celtics would not come to terms with Smart, so that they could swoop in, but that wasn't going to happen. So. They we end they end up with Beverly, and I, I'm honestly surprised. It, not to badmouth anybody, I think Jared Culver is still he's only 22 years old. I'm 25 and I seem old, but I'm not. So it's, I think I think Jared Culver needed a change of scenery, and I think I'm not so sure about uh, Wancho's future. But I I don't want to badmouth anybody, but I think the fact that the Wolves were able to get rid of those guys without with those two guys without adding. Any additional uh, compensation and dra- draft picks or what have you is a win. And now you add Patrick Beverly. He- he's on an expiring contract. He he's bro- he's broken down physically the last couple years. Last year he missed some time with a he he broke his wrist, and I believe he had a he also had a hip problem at some point in the season. But uh, I love Patrick Beverly. I feel and people people are saying oh oh because they're comparing it to Jimmy and. How Jimmy caused problems with cats. I think Patrick Beverly is going to exude confidence. I saw a lot of people, a lot of people amongst uh, the Timberwolves Twitter uh, Twitter sphere today talk about Patrick Beverly is a guy who you hate when he's on another team and you love him when he's on your team. And I feel like that's definitely going to be the case with the Timberwolves. I think a guy like Ant and a guy like Jaden, who Jaden Jaden is already pretty good defensively. I think Ant has the physical tools to be good defensively. Yeah, you add in a leader. You add in a guy like Patrick Beverly, who's been, he's based, uh, the culture that he's set when he was in Houston with James Harden and, and then with the Clippers. And he, he, he's had superstars around him. But the culture that Patrick Beverly has, has, helped, uh, has helped to set, uh, I feel like that's going to help in Minnesota. I really do. I I love this trade on all angles. I just do. It'll be interesting to see what the Wolves do from the, uh, from he, uh, here on out. I I'm personally co- uh, cooled off on Ben Simmons. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that trade. 
The Wolves have nothing realistic to offer the Sixers. I know Woj was uh, tweeted. Uh, Woj was on TV talking about the Wolves are still talking with the Sixers, and uh, Johnny confirmed that. But I just don't see it. I don't see a reason why you'd have to give up four or five first round picks, and you'd probably have to give up McDaniel's and all the cap minutia. I'd, and people are uh, uh, we, some some people have talked about whether Pat, uh, Beverly will be used as a trade chip. I I I don't think so. I think Patrick Beverly is a guy you really need as a backup point guard. And actually, honestly, you can play him with D'Angelo Russell. I think there are times on the court you could hide D'Angelo Russell uh, uh, defensive shortcomings next to Beverly. I really do. I think he's played off the ball. We, we saw it in we saw it in Houston. He played fairly successfully with uh, with Harden on his side. So. I, I feel I just I I personally feel like this move is a win. It is a massive win for Gerson Rosas. Uh, although they had a lot of uh, losses, a lot of fail uh, failures uh, with 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 the current with the current regime, they, they I feel like they've righted that ship here with the Patrick Beverly signing. All right, guys. Thank you so much again. We hope to have some great, more great guests coming in the next few days. Uh, we got a lot to cover, got off ground to cover, uh, politically and um, uh, current events wise. Then also got the Wolves and the Wild and the Vikings and the Twins. You got the Gophers. No, something, some crap always seems to hit the fan at the least expected time in Minnesota sports. So we got things to cover. So uh hope you guys have a, a great night and thanks again for listening. Assalamu alaikum.